0: Investing Insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security.
1: Hi everyone, how are you going? Phil Tarrant, co-host of Investing Insights with the Right Property Group joined in lockdown by Stephen Waters and Victor Kumar, directors of Right Property Group. Gents, I, I think this is the first time I've actually missed doing it in a studio face-to-face. It's a uh, Shows the significance and the seriousness of the current lockdown. Gentlemen, virtually, how are you going? You well?
2: Yeah, doing well. Uh, another day, another lockdown. As unsophisticated as it may sound, it is what it is. And, yeah, we control what we can and we deal with the rest.
0: Yes, yeah, I agree. And, uh, Phil, we did do, in the last lockdown, funnily enough, we did a, um, one on a phone hookup. And this we time, one, obviously, obviously you have splurged
1: out the big dollars and
0: now we're doing it on Zoom.
1: <laughs> well, there you go, mate. We got a Zoom account. Fancy? It's only about fifty bucks a month. It's investment. Investment worth doing, but um, you know, but it's it's funny. You, you look at this current lockdown, you know, and I sort of had to do a bit of a reset recalibration. I think, like most people, the COVID, as we sort of accelerated out of it and sort of got caught up and swept up in things, back to how they once were. A lot of people forgot about what it was like to actually be in lockdown and and the significance of that and we're sort of firmly back into it right now so i think it's a good reminder to a whole bunch of people about the environment that we're in right now and how quickly things can go south you know not to get into the whole vaccination debate but you know the only way is a nation we can get out of this they get jabbing more arms um and hopefully that can keep the economy moving uh, there's a whole bunch of moving parts as as we chat about you know we've got an election coming up we've got this whole vaccine debate We've got unemployment at uh now in its fours. So anyone that pretty much wants a job has got a job, even though some people are doing it tough right now. All these different things. Um, you know, it's changed significantly since the last time we got together, you know, a month on on this particular podcast. But it's just a reminder that nothing is forever, nothing is set in stone. And we all need to get used to this idea of operating in a very fluid environment where nothing, nothing is given. And you're putting that in the context of property prices and the property markets, Uh, Victor, you know, is this changing anything? Are we going to see much change moving forward? And I I want to get a sense for it because I'm trying to make informed property decisions and this podcast, the purpose of it is to help people make more informed property decisions. So things are going to keep changing. So the question is, does it really matter that much? Will things be still pushing forward for property markets?
0: Uh, Well, one of the things that we're noticing is that there is a definite flattening out of the trajectory in quite a few of the states, right? So now it could be a combination of a couple of things. Lockdown, obviously. The second is uh, obviously that it is now tax time. So a lot of people actually holding back and they're saying, okay, we'll relaunch our property in the new financial year. Because what it does, it does give, obviously from an accountant's advice, the capital gains tax gets deferred to this financial year in that sense. So we're starting to see that happening. But if I look at it, if I take everything away and I, and I look at it from a helicopter point of view, right? No one can predict the future. No one predicted COVID. No one predicted how the market was going to react with COVID. And, and a really good example of it was the, the projections or the um, predictions that the banks were making and the economists were making where initially it was going to be, you know, double-digit slowdowns, so even to minus 30%, to then it slowly changed as more data came through and more realization of people became more conversant with what was happening. It became well. It'll it'll be zero, and then it was positive five percent, and then all of a sudden it was thirty percent, right? So it went from from minus thirty to positive thirty. That's because the, the data keeps unfolding. We can't predict the future, so we need to take a step back and say, okay, we gotta take into account that if we bought properties today, can I hold on it for medium and long term without impacting lifestyle with everything else that is going on right now? Uh, so we don't get caught up in the um, what I call the Facebook investing phase, where we see all of these people that just simply jump on without actually doing the full sums to say that, you know, this is how it will impact my household budget and this is what I'm trying to get out of my property investing, not jumping onto the bandwagon of I need growth, I need growth, I need cash flow, but what am I trying to get for myself? And that will then help you direct as to where the portfolio is going to land for you as opposed to where the market's going to land.
1: It's a good point you make around uh, Facebook and people are still swept up and that's their primary source of information. You only need to look at the US President Joe Biden only last week pretty much said Facebook is killing people because of the misinformation on it around Mm. vaccination. So the same thing applies for all other areas of information, including property markets, if you're getting your information from Facebook, that's what you're using to make your decisions. Guess what happens? Uh, Facebook feeds you stuff that you want to see. So if you want to see growth, if you want to see positivity, guess what? Facebook's going to show it. If you want to look at 40% reductions in property prices, Facebook's going to show it. You've got to be very, very careful you get that information. And to your point, Victor, and you know when COVID 2020 first hit, uh, you talk about some of those uh, predictions of markets going south up to 30%. Commonwealth Bank said that, by the way. We're not seeing the same things in this current lockdown, even though you've seen this increased focus on incentives for Australians. They're not as good as what they were first time around with JobKeeper. No word of it. So irrespective of what's going on, property will keep driving forward. I think
2: if we perhaps look at it a little bit differently as well, and on two points, one around social media platforms, yeah, Vickley Victor rightly pointed out <laughs> Vicky. There we go. that's a new one. That's so that, new that's handle. a
0: comment from in our prediction. And comment from Victor It's the weekly Vicky.
1: <laughs> <Well, yeah>, Victor, <laughs> and he was he was saying you're right. You know, so it's, a, it's a real. I know, right? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I
1: know.
2: <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a Vicky? It's um, It's a Vicky. Yeah, there you go. That'll be in the dictionary in a couple of years' time. I think if we look at it as you pointed out, Phil, around whatever you're looking for, you'll be fed. It's not all negative at the end of the day. Social media platforms have also allowed people to further educate themselves. I think it's how we look at it and how we digest the information along with other supporting factors as well. Social media platforms has opened up the ability for people to actually have a concept of what is their potential or a potential for them going forward. We go back back to two thousand, and we've mentioned this before when when we investing in 2000 it was physically on the ground door knocking mm. you know the agents and going into their offices i don't and now fast forward you know, 21 years i can't remember the last time i went physically into an agent's office or if you look at it from a different point of view back then it was a secret society almost you know investors didn't speak about investing to other investors because they didn't even know that they existed whereas now that whole sort of gambit of information is readily available to everybody. In some way, shape or form, the world's population today, give or take, is far more entrepreneurial today than what they were back 20 years ago. And that's a good good thing. But if I come back even further into the beginning of the conversation around all of these pieces that are moving in worldwide economies and how it is shaping all asset classes, and particularly this lockdown, so lockdown, what is it, two or three for Sydney and five for Melbourne and a few other states as well, dare I say it, people have now somehow been able to not get their head around it, but cope better than what they did before. That initial shock and awe of when we had our first lockdowns and COVID initiated, nobody knew what to expect. Nobody knew what it was about. Nobody knew how the economies would react. Today it's a little bit different, still shocking, without a doubt, but I think we've become, dare I say, it, accustomed, you know, to the effects of what we're seeing. And it's shaping all different markets. If we come back to property, it's shaping all real estate just about throughout the world. You know, UK's doing well, US is having a boom, New Zealand had a boom, you know, France, Germany all having tremendous times in terms of asset growth, as is Australia. I think the gold, or the trick or the mitigation perhaps is how do we try to forward look when COVID dissipates to some degree, how will markets react then? And I think that's where that mitigation we need to be looking at.
0: Yeah, Yeah, you you can almost uh, look at it from a viewpoint of the headlines in the the future where there'll be a lot of doomsday merchants that will come out there saying markets done so well, it's bound to crash Uh, and it will crash. And the reality is that some markets might, but most markets, given given the trajectory, given the shift in population, and also coming back into the education side of it, they will hold. It is particularly Australia in that sense. That, you know, our property market is very resilient, even during the GFC. it's bounced back a lot faster than most other developed countries. And if I look back to what you said, Steve, back in the 2000s, where we were physically going to the agents, if you remember, you know. They would bring out the lever arch folders and go through all the sleeves of properties that they had. say, so, hey, does this one match? Does this one match? And we take away in you know, the printed pieces of paper. Now, that's changed because now all of the information is available digitally. And we are, we are able to do research a lot faster. Now, that's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing as well because you're not able to have
1: your second thoughts first because the information is hitting your face from day one. So what you guys are talking about, and I've been sort of trying to get my own sense for this environment and and I'm sort of calling it COVID elasticity and what that is is I reckon that once we get through this particular uh, spike in COVID and, and we don't need to go over what the government is doing here in New South Wales in particular where we're recording from to try and get a hold of things, including construction being shut down, um, by the way. But um, I think things will snap back pretty quickly to where they were before this happened both in terms of business, in terms of property, and even here at Momentum Media, which is the the brand behind um, Smart Property Investment and and this sort of stuff in property. We're one of Australia's biggest events companies. We're basing our decisions on as soon as things were, we're beyond this, things will snap back to where it is. And I think that's good. And that sort of lends itself to sort of this notion of resilience. And I think we're going to see this moving forward. I think Australians are going to embrace it. I've been out. I don't know what it's like where you live, Steve, but (laughs) <laughs> there seems to be a lot more people exercising these days than what there was before COVID, uh, any excuse really to get out of the house. But as soon as the Australians are let out, I reckon they'll we'll get out, particularly here in New South Wales. So we've got to sort of embrace some of that when we look at our, our decision-making around property investing. But the question is, Vic, in terms of property markets, and, and with that sort of on the peripheral attitude and aptitudes and resilience and all this sort of stuff, is it as good as it gets right now? So if I've got a portfolio and I'm looking at it going, no, I could probably fix some of the cash flow stuff, which we need to do on, on smart property investment. Hey, there's so many people in the market. There's not a lot of stock on market. Is it as good as it gets? Should I offload some of the poor performing property in my portfolio? Is this the time to do it with you to think about what the future is going to be? And, and my indication I'm not an expert, by the way, I'm a journal who aggregates information and views of other people, but you guys are in the hot seat. I'm seeing a lot of stock coming on market, I think, sort of during that spring selling season, sort of a little bit later, September through to December. So should you be beefing up and getting ready by offloading some of the poor stock you've got right now to so people who are willing to pay for it?
0: Yeah, look, uh, it's always a um, something that you need to take into account by looking at all of the moving parts on it, right? So whenever you're selling a property, you need to be looking at it from a viewpoint that you will pay capital gains tax, right? So you need to obviously speak with the accountant first before you make the decision. Well, you actually... You hope you pay
2: capital gains tax. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Good point. Uh, Yeah, so you're hoping that you're paying capital gains tax because that means you make money, right? Now, uh, one of the things that I want to flag while we're talking about selling down right, is is one of the little known facts that most people don't take into account, which is the biggest argument between brand new and old, is that when you have your deductions, your depreciation and all that, when you're selling, you've got to pay that back. Right. So what you've done is taken that upfront and now you've got to pay it back in terms of your costings because it gets recalculated back into, into your capital gain as such. That's something that most people don't take into account. That is why I say that before you even make that decision, you've got to sit down with someone that can lay independent eyes on your portfolio, particularly the accountant. Steve, you're about to jump in and say something. Well, I was, I was, as you were saying that,
2: I was thinking about what Bill was saying around, you know, the snapback yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, COVID elasticity.
1: Get... You can use it. Claim
2: it. It's yours, Steve. Well, well, I actually said it was sea change. <laughs> what sea change way back. It's, <laughs> That's uh, right. C change. I think I agree. And how this ties in around, you know, selling or keeping is that I think we'll reclaim that initial inertia or that latter part of the inertia that we've had quite recently. When that happens, nobody knows. How long does a lockdown last? and take up. There are so many sort of variables to that decision. And if you try to weave that into the decisions around selling, potentially buying or swapping out assets, unfortunately, because of COVID, it might be more of a reactionary decision Mm -hmm. uh, based on your own metrics that you've denoted, as opposed to, well, in month 24, I'm going to sell this property because of X, Y, and, and Z. This is probably one of been one of the most reactive markets, you know, that I've seen in 21 years. Potentially, you could have drawn a line or a parallel between, say, 2000 and I think it was 2001, with the invention of the low doc loan and credit became very, very easy to get, and so there was an an immediate uptake in terms of the asset values. But certainly today's sort of COVID characteristics and repercussions have made this market extremely reactive in all areas even potentially areas that don't have you know what we all classify as fundamentals to sustainability yep. there'll be a an equal cause and effect to those markets as well so all of that has to form the picture from your jigsaw puzzle before you make these decisions mm. you know, don't throw out dirty water if you've got clean water
0: exactly right and so one of the things that you need to be looking at if you're planning on selling down some of the in inverted commas, non-performers, you need to look at it from a viewpoint of what are you going to do with the cash that's freed up, the capital that's freed up? Are you going to reduce the loan? Are you going to buy uh, lifestyle goods? Are you actually going to replace that rental income stream? One of the strategies that that, uh, we use is simply porting the loan across to a new property, as an example, which uh, then doesn't make, depending on the lender, it uh, doesn't require you to re-qualify for the loan provided everything else remains the same. So these are things that you need to to, to think out upfront. So as an example, I've sold a property in, during COVID. right? But out of that uh, funds that i freed up, I'm also in the process of building up two granny flats cash. So from the one property that was actually negative in my portfolio, I'm now creating two positive cash flow properties where they're unencumbered, or that rental income stream is unencumbered, right? So for me, I've taken away one rental income stream, but I've replaced it with two unencumbered rental income streams. So my portfolio hasn't gone backwards, it's literally gone forwards. And what I'm doing right now, while the interest rates are low, is I'm actually preparing my portfolio and my lending or borrowing capacity for when the interest rates will go up, uh, when the lending gets constrained to try and uh, you know, curb the market or as a natural reaction to the market itself. So I'm making hay while the sun shines and uh, rejigging my portfolio, also picking up opportunistic properties right now as well. But certainly the clear view I have is that I'm not doing my sums based on today's interest rates, right? Because these these interest rates will change. I'm looking at it from a normalized interest rate. And that will see me through in the later years when the interest rates do go up as to how my portfolio will sustain that and whether I will have to then give back the cash flow that that I'm creating in inverted inverted commerce because of the lower interest rates and purchasing something, right? So this is where you can readjust your portfolio. Certainly, I'm not averse to selling, but you've got to look at it from, from a viewpoint of what are you trying to achieve when you're selling? Are you just being you know, out of the flow and saying, you know what, market's really good, let's sell down, but what are you going to do with that capital?
2: You mentioned a really good point there, Vic, around, you know, the interest rates. You know, one thing that we could really guarantee is somewhere in the future, interest rates will increase.
0: Hmm.
2: What we don't know is when. And there's a lot of narrative around, you know, inflation, cost of funding, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But realistically nobody knows. The banks may forecast and you can see that in fixed interest rates going up on the five year and four year term, I believe. But nobody knows what the future holds or when it happens is more to the point. And especially because we're in such an uncertain world, clearly because of COVID, I think trying to predict the future to the decimal point, you're going to do your own head in. You're going to cause so much disturbance between your ears that you'll potentially end up making no decision mm. and, and doing nothing. Now, whether that is to purchase you know, a house, a pencil, shares, or sell whatever it may be. And so this is where more so than ever, I believe the management of your portfolio, all your asset classes in entirety is super, super important, more so than ever today, because investors in all asset classes have become more short-term sighted on their asset classes rather than, well, I'm going to buy this thing and I'm going to sit it and park it for the next 20 years. Dare I say that type of investing is, especially in today's market and the rising market is is put to the back end of importance wrongly for a lot of people.
1: Yeah. I think what you're talking about there, Steve, is, is sort of getting some COVID clarity. I think a lot of people are using this period of time and actually go, wow, like there is actually so much, like before COVID, there was so much you couldn't control. Apply COVID into that mix, there's even more you can't control. So it goes back to the old adage of controlling what you can control. With interest rates." Um, I think it's sooner than most people think those things are going to start coming up. When you look at the unemployment rate, when you look over what's happening with the Fed inflation over there, you know, some of the, the noises I'm, I'm hearing coming out of government, you know, i would be back, back in an interest rate rise sooner than what most people have been saying. Uh, the people have been going, like oh, there was three years until there's an interest rate rise. Yeah, I don't believe that. But um, you know, this whole notion of COVID clarity and actually using this environment to, to shape and move and maneuver your portfolio for the betterment. Now, I want to get a bit of insight into how your customers are embracing you, how your clients are embracing this, uh, Victor. And and before we do that, just to all those listening, or the Right Property Group crew who use these guys, myself included, and all those who just dial into this, a quick favor for me, if you can, Um, you'll see wherever you listen to this, probably all on Apple podcast player. If you leave a review for us, uh, we'd really appreciate that. It's just not us here, three of us having a chat behind the microphone. We're very fortunate. It's a big team of of um, podcast producers and the crew over at Right Property Group who are integral to making this happen. So, uh, leave us a review. If you leave us five stars, that's cool. It means more people will tune into this in time. And leave a remark as well. What we can and and, and what we like, what you like us doing, and what you like us to do. But Vic, what are your customers telling you right now? Are, are they are they optimistic about the future? Are they bullish about the future? And is that shaping in more of an offensive strategy when it comes to creating wealth through property? Or are people on the defensive because of those same factors?
0: Look, the people that have got job security or have got the right mindset are getting into an offensive stance, but still keeping defense up very strongly, right? Because we don't want to go backwards just to to purchase the same property. And the challenge right now is that we need to be totally financially prepared. So in other words, loan approvals and so forth, because what we're finding out there in the market is that By the time, let's say we we entered into a contract today, and let's say it was in a 10-day cool-off period, by the time the 10 days go by, the agents are getting unsolicited offers still off the website, right, if it's right on realestate.com. And so if your finance is not rock solid, what we're finding is that the vendors are trying to, at that point in time, when it's due for cool-off and you're wanting to ask for an extension, they're trying to crash the contract. They're not giving extensions as such, right, in most cases. Uh, it's only when they've bought off the sale of this property, they've bought elsewhere that they are playing ball with us. But most are trying to crash the contract because the offers are going up, up and up and up. And if you look at the value that the market is adding to itself, arguably Sydney was adding 20k a month to its it, <laughs> at a low point, right? Uh, it's far more than that. So. The fortunate thing is that with, with the clients, with our guidance, we don't get caught up in the FOMO effect, right? So we, we are still being very strategic in what we buy. And in some cases, uh, you know, Steve and I both pushed back on the clients to say we shouldn't be buying now. should really be, uh, you know, doing some uh, groundwork in terms of within your portfolio, get bet down your interest rates, you know, get, get, get the loans more reflective of where the portfolio is and reflective of where your employment situation is before you actually go out and buy. And so we're not being transactional in nature, we're being very strategic in terms of what we buy and where we buy. That's a good point. You mentioned, I don't know if it was you or
2: or Phil around are you on offensive, you're on the offense or you're on the defense. In our asset class property, it is traditionally a, a flight to safety. So in some way, shape or form, it is a defensive asset. It just depends on how much on the offense are you around being defensive if that makes any sense whatsoever. The way I sort of wrap it up in my head is, I don't know, when you used to play soccer, you still play soccer, Vic, but when I used to play footy, the real footy, it's, um, <laughs> if you went into a game trying to protect a league, you'd lose. You lose. Or if you, you know, if you went in trying to protect yourself and not get injured, you'd get injured. You need to scrub that from your mind and continue what you're doing with well-planned plays and and execute accordingly, as soon as you become too defensive, it changes your complete mindset and you actually start to to lose. And property is no different. If you're too defensive around what is out of your control, but you know will happen, such as interest rates today, well, you'll miss opportunity. But that doesn't mean that you should be speculative either. It's about making sure that you make those right methodical steps so that you actually don't corner yourself in a position and this is why strategies people that create strategies that are just one lane actually corners them into a position even in today's market which is very buoyant or in tomorrow's market when perhaps it's not and interest rates are up if your strategy doesn't have the flexibility you'll actually hurt yourself in the medium to long term
0: yeah absolutely and and so you know looking at it from a strategic point of view right so You're doing a strategic purchase rather than a reactive purchase, however, you're being very reactive to the opportunity once you've got the strategy down pat, right? So there's a big difference here. Reactive buying is going out there buying something because everyone's talking about it, Sydney market's going up, Melbourne market's, every market's going up, rents are going up, so I'm going to be reactive, I'm going to buy something, right? But strategic buy is more about what does my portfolio need or what do I need to better my position in the worst case scenario and then being reactive to the opportunities that present itself that fits within that strategy. And that, that's a huge difference in between a, uh, if I can use the word, sophisticated investor and a novice investor. Yeah, yeah so Ray that's it's really- a good
1: point, Vic. The the sort of idea of a sorry, see the sophisticated investor. I think it absolutely comes down to mindset. And I was I was sharing with one of my colleagues here uh, my philosophy to all this, and and you're better off playing an, an offensive game rather than a defensive game. And and I say that on the basis of if you're on the offense, you're essentially making the rules and you can normally win the game that you make the rules for rather than playing by someone else's rules. And that's my baseline philosophy towards sort of growth and development. You want to make the rules up because you're most likely to win. And that happens in property investment, because you said there's so many things you can't control, but you can control how you choose to approach it, understanding and having a really good relationship with all of those uncertainties. And that's where you need to strive and grow and succeed. And Steve, you probably subscribe to a similar logic to that. You know. You you like to win because you like to make the rules up. I wish I could make all the rules up. Mm. That'd be nice.
2: But I, I actually see it very in a similar way being that if you are on the offense, then all your senses are heightened because you're invested literally in education, in knowledge, in action. When you're on the defense, you've kind of parked it in the background and it's out of sight. Out of mind. And just because you own a portfolio, and, we, and I think we're all collectively saying that you should be on the offense, doesn't mean that you're always purchasing. Mm. It could actually mean that you're always adjusting mm. or you're always in consultation. You're invested in your investment.
1: Yeah. And it's good. So, you know, it's it definitely embrace that. And, and you know, the reason why I asked that, I really wanted to get a bit of an insight into what your customer's saying. But you know, offensive property investor doesn't mean you need to be buying. You can be tinkering and tweaking, which gets a little bit tactical, Stephen. You mentioned it, you know, little things like like adjusting your interest rates. And um I'm gonna try not to go on a bit of a rant here, but no, I mean, do
2: it. Were- I'm gonna interrupt you here.
1: Where Phil's gonna go with this, I'm I'm assuming, is that we chatted
2: as we do on most Fridays, and it's Friday's. Uh, Phil's Normally, only wants day. to
1: get a whining to me at about five o'clock and it really riles me.
2: <laughs> yeah. So every Friday is Phil's rant day. You know, hashtag Phil Tarrant. It's, um. And you were going to talk about your interest rates and how incredibly angry that you were. But what it highlights is actually that you are invested. You, you yeah. are making moves to better your position, whether it be via a, you know, a rent increase, which we also discussed repairs and maintenance or in this particular case you know an absolute horrific interest rate environment that you're experiencing but you did what it took hours and hours and hours and hours on the phone to adjust the numbers in your portfolio did you like it no was it necessary depends oh, absolutely you know well, well but what I say depends on whether what you put as you know on a list of importance was it that yeah. or was it you know recording a podcast with Stephen dick yeah well that's obviously <laughs> that's obviously a priority and uh
1: you know but, but you gotta like you know but but you're talking about it is offensive but it's technical like get your interest rates right Vic, you spoke about it before and if, if you're not doing that right now you're an idiot Get on the phone, at least review your interest rates. We've spoken about before on Investing Insights, the right public group, how often you should do it. But if you have not done it for quite some time, do yourself a favour and do it because you probably have a heart attack to start with just how far out your, your rates might be. But you've got to embrace embrace the hurt because it is not a nice exercise doing it. Some lenders are better than other lenders. Some of them are really reactive and responsive. Some of them are absolutely impossible to deal with. <clears throat> Commonwealth Bank... Um, so, Phil,
0: uh, you mentioned there,
1: right, the importance of
0: of uh, fine tuning things, and I'm and I'm just looking at one of the properties that that uh, landed uh, in my lap this morning on someone that's looking to sell, and I'm looking at the rent. The tenant has been there for five years. They have not adjusted the rent. The rent is still sitting at two forty five a week. Right. The market in that area is more like three eighty. Yeah. That's a huge difference, right? So, and this is this is a clear indication of someone that's not invested within their portfolio and hasn't kept up to date with where the market is with interest and now to move that tenant from 245 to the 380 is too big, big an ask so you have to now get rid of that tenant and then start all over again right and when we do do that let's say that the vendor was continuing to own the property when you do do that because now you've displaced a tenant you will need to freshen up the property As well, So not only have you lost on the cash flow all along the while, you have to now unnecessarily inject some capital into this property to make it into a rentable, uh, you know, a a fresh looking property to to attract a tenant today. So that's where interest rates, uh, your, your rentals, all of the moving parts of your portfolio. And the validity of the property within the portfolio, you know, do you bring forward a development potential you had on that right now? Or do we start playing towards it so that you're ready to pull the trigger because you've got all of the planning permits in place? All of those things need to be looked at at a regular basis so that you're never in the situation where you're so far off the market that it becomes very hard to catch up. Yeah, I think, I think most people
2: entertain or start investing with clueless enthusiasm Mm -hmm. then lose sight of the you know 400 other components you know in ownership you know whether it be rate adjustments rent adjustments repair and maintenance legislation that changes state by state you know whatever it may be as we've always said it's not the set and forget asset that a lot of people you know want to pretend that it is and at the end of the day, property's been democratized. It's allowed all of us to have some sort of a say, but have a vested interest if we so choose.
1: And Phil, how did you end up with your chats to the Yellow Bank? Well, you brought you brought me back into this. Um, <laughs> well, I've got with the Yellow Bank, uh, I don't know six or seven home loans with them, and um, they finally aligned all of my variable uh, interest-only rates to the same, at least to the same, because there was a variation of a one percentage point between the lowest and the highest, even though I am the same customer with this same bank. One full percent. One full percent. Yeah, not 10 blips, yeah. One full percent. percent. So at least now they're all normalised, but am I happy with the rate compared to, um, uh, I got an interest rate with Suncorp Bank and my dealings with them uh, was pretty reasonable of 2.89% P&I and 299 interest only. So, you know, uh, still half a percent, out the Commonwealth Bank on where I am. It just goes to show you just the variations of how different lenders view you and, and how they're going. But look, wasn't a nice experience, and it angers me. And I'm still I get angry about it. Now I've got a phone call waiting for me when I finish this podcast to get onto another bank to to give it a go. I can't do it all at once because it just it's so blood pressure. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> My doctor said uh, don't do it. But but to what Victor was saying, this is really the this is tinkering at the P and L level rather than the balance sheet level and. And what I noticed that most property investors love the balance sheet side, like, oh, my, my property's gone up $20,000 just this month alone. Look how wealthy I am. That's just paper paper profits, really. You know, you've got to realize that in some capacity where the real game is at the P&L level. How can you tweak and tinker at the revenue line? And how can you tweak and tinker at the expense line? Now, the biggest expense you're going to have in your portfolio is obviously interest repayments, but to the example you used there, Victor was a 250 bucks, which should be about 380. That's a mm. huge difference. Now that that tenant, if you put in the in the the shoes of the tenant, that tenant has been benefiting from that price for so long. It's probably their home. They would have stayed yep. there forever. Guess what's going to happen now? Like they're going to get put out of there because you can't go to a tenant. Hey, I'm going mm. to lift that from 280 to whatever it is. It's just impossible. There's rules around it, so they get dislocated. There's a whole bunch of work that needs to happen, but. If you're not tinkering 10, 20, 30, we go for our portfolio, Steve, on smart property investment, we're talking about increasing rents from like two eighty to the 285 as a way just to manufacture more at the the top line uh, revenue side. Um, where do you prioritize, Vic? Do you prioritize at the expense line or do you prioritize at the revenue side or is it both the same? It just depends.
0: Look I, are both both the same, because you always need to keep the expenses down, but don't scrimp uh, and become a slum lord in the sense that you don't. You always look at the safety aspect first, and the tenant comfort, uh, because that's longevity. But you need to be looking from both ends, right the expenses as well as the income coming in, uh, because they're both just as important. I think uh, one of the things that people lose sight of is that the cash flow is your lifestyle right, that funds for your lifestyle, the capital growth doesn't fund your lifestyle unless you can get to that growth, which is you can either do that by selling or by leveraging, in other words, taking a loan, right, both of which gets rid of the golden goods. So that's why we need to concentrate on the lifestyle aspect of the portfolio and let the wealth creation happen in the background. Still very important, right, because you still need growth, uh, but you need to let the wealth Focus more on the lifestyle side of it because that'll get you way towards your goal a lot quicker because it's running a lot more efficiently.
2: I think if you're not concentrating on both income and expenditure, you'd be an idiot. Yeah. It, it <laughs> is the bottom line. Yeah, well, yeah. it is because... It's I the mean, same result, so it, right? Well, there's a bigger picture here that a lot of people don't potentially recognise. Clearly, rental income is increasing income. Uh, But if I can reduce my rates, that's probably a larger effect in terms of the bottom line. But if I'm attacking them at the same time or intermittently where they need to be, what it's actually doing is it's enhancing clearly my cost to operate and my holding costs at a cash sheet, but it's also enhancing my serviceability scenario for the future. What I do now will have a direct effect in 6 and 12 months' time. Now, conversely as well, when the market goes sideways or gets back to an element of normality, we might be in a position in five years' time where we may have to adjust our rents the other way because Mm. we want the consistency of cash flow. So there's no one size or one analogy or one rule fits all. It's about, if we go back early to the conversation around about being on the offense, well, here's another way where you can be on the offense. It's Completely and always adjusting the numbers and being focused. I mean, why wouldn't you be focused? You've got potentially millions of dollars at play, whilst at the same time, if you dropped your wallet as you got out of the car and it had, you know, in your case, Phil, probably all come full of, out of a
1: few, Steve. I was yeah. going to say
2: one full of hundreds. You'd be scrambling and backtracking your footsteps to find that wallet. Look how thick it is. Did you see that? They were all green. It's a, proper, um, it's, a, it's, a proper, it's a proper Costanza, that. That's what it's called. <laughs> but it's like, so if you dropped a, a $20 bill on the ground, you'd look for it. Hmm. But if you haven't increased your rent by you know, the other 10 or $20 a week, you know, it's foolish. It's a bigger yeah. effect for you than the single $20 note. And the same thing with expenses.
1: So the sort of top line sort of chat around this, Vic, was, you know, is this the time to realise some of the poor performing properties through a sale, capitalizing the market, low stock on market, therefore there's positive price tension, et cetera. What's the immediate future going to look like? Just to conclude with that point. So what's our base position on this? Are we going to see, talk me through the sales period from September through December of 2021, more stock on market, Vic, less competition, or do you think equilibrium to where we are right now?
0: I think I think it'll be more of an equilibrium, the reason being that as uh, there's more properties coming up, there'll be more buyers that have been frustrated by the lack of stock right now come back in into the market, right, so it'll balance itself out, so I don't see the trajectory dipping significantly uh, in terms of the availability of properties versus the uh, availability of the buyers uh, RAM. Certainly, traditionally, the spring season brings in a lot more buyers, but I, I think Covid's changed all of that and we, we can't rely on past data and base, uh, base that to say that that's what's likely to happen. I think the
2: the gap, well, actually, I, I agree with you. I think the, the net effect, if everything plays out as it does, will be there. Yeah. Yes, there'll be somewhat some more properties, therefore more choice, but there'll be just as many buyers, as you pointed out, who are frustrated and who want a piece of the action. However, the big what if is if the lockdown continues on the east coast of Australia, will there, and so people can't work reduced hours, you know, self-employed people, their turnovers, perhaps not where it was. If and when we enter, uh, sort of go back out of the lockdown, will there be a moment in time circa the spring selling season where the serviceability has been eroded because of the lack of income? Mm-hmm. And so if there's more stock on the market, there might be a very small point in time where prepped buyers, lucky buyers who haven't lost their serviceability, are able to pounce as well. Now, that's all you know, pretty out there in terms of what is the possibility. And if you wait for that type of inflection point, well, you just may miss the boat because it's nobody knows, going back to the beginning of the, the conversation. But definitely more properties on the market as people price grab. We've already seen the first homeowner who are now beginning to be priced out receive a little from the market, but investors have taken their their place. So I think
1: it's just same old, same old is the very good. Last one, I think we covered that off um pretty well. Good Councillor, And no doubt that's just posed a whole bunch of other questions uh, for you. So uh, just for me as I sign off, if you do that a favor for me, keep those reviews coming. Uh, we do get a real kick out of it. But Vic, if people want to pick up that chat and sort of run through their s- specific scenarios, and I, I, by way of disclaimer, I at my my interest rates, it doesn't mean that that's what everyone's going to get. You're probably going to get better, to be honest with you. And, you know, we're just talking in general about property rather than any specific advice. But if people actually want to have a chat with you guys, uh, we can sort of dig deep into what they're doing and, and help them and give them a pathway. What's the best way to, to contact with you guys?
0: So you can go to our website and... um Use used the contact form to come back to us. Other ways of reaching us, uh, reaching out to us is via the social media uh, platform. So uh, send us a private message on Facebook uh, if you'd like. Or alternatively, you can go to questions at uh, Now, our process is that initially you will be speaking with Melissa or Kate from our office. They've been around for a while. They're, they're really so, uh, you know, successful investors. So they will then set up a time so that you will speak with either myself or Steve directly so that we can give you guidance as to what to do uh, based on your scenario. And if, um, if you're just simply reaching out to uh, you know, talk to a connected broker that understands and knows property investment, we can put you in touch with our team at uh, MLS Finance uh, where every broker is an investor. And they will be able to uh, give you guidance as to whether to leave your portfolio alone from from a loan's perspective or whether there's tweaks that they can do with the existing lender or whether it does give you merit to get introduced to a newer lender or a different lender that gives far more flexibility in terms of your portfolio.
1: Very good. And and we all know that property investing is a game of finance. So that's a good counsel there, Victor. Gentlemen, thanks for your time today. always uh, enjoy it. And uh, we'll see you again next time on Investing Insights or our property group. See you then. Bye-bye.
0: The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property, or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.